Uh, here it is, another edition of the Let's Go Eat Show. I'm Bill Allred, and today I'm going to be talking to Holly Mullen. Uh, she's the executive director of the Rape Crisis Center here in Salt Lake City. And uh, we uh, sat down for a really good meal. My God, it was delicious. At the uh, at Maza. Maza on 9th and 9th. Have you ever been to Maza, uh, 9th and 9th? It's Middle Eastern food. And uh, it's run by just the, the, I mean, this guy is such a great gentleman. Uh, Ali Shabazz is his name. Uh, he started a little restaurant uh, at 15th and 15th, also called Maza. It's still there, but it was just small, hole in the wall. We used to go up there, uh, my wife and I, my family, and uh, we'd go up there and have dinner. But it was so it was small, and if you didn't go at the, at the right time, uh, it was just hard to get a table. You'd have to wait. I mean, what were there for? Six tables in there, maybe. And uh, and then he opened up, uh, Ali opened up this bigger restaurant, Maza, at 9th and 9th, 9th East and 9th South. Uh, and it's it's great. A big restaurant. I, I'd advise you, though, if you're going there for dinner to make reservations, uh, especially on the weekend. Uh, but uh, I had some uh, shawarma. Uh, you can have it on salad, or you can have the shawarma on uh, rice, or you can have it on a pita. And it's just, oh, my God, it's good. And uh, Holly had the um, falafel on salad. Also, it's just delicious. And uh, he, he has a full bar. Uh, Ollie has a full bar there at Maza. And uh, we each had a glass of um, Lebanese red wine, I think it was. And they have some really good Middle Eastern beers there. And uh, just, I mean, it's just a really terrific restaurant. Maza. Ninth East, Ninth South, go there. And I think uh, if you when you uh, listen to this episode, there should be a couple of pictures uh, on the website of the food we had. Just stare at that. Just stare at the pictures of the food at Maza. Um, Holly Mullen is a, a great conversationalist, a fascinating woman. This is the first time I've ever sat down and talked to her at length like this. We talk a little bit about her early career. As a newspaper woman, she worked for um, the Deseret News and the Salt Lake Tribune and uh, was a very good uh, reporter uh, for those newspapers. And we talk about that, and then we get into talking about her work at the Rape Crisis Center. And we uh, talk a lot about women's issues and uh, the issues of domestic violence and violence against women, but but also uh, violence against men and transgendered people. And... uh, and we have a really good, frank discussion about all of that. Um, and you know what I also like uh, talking? Uh, I like talking to Holly over a meal because she's one of the few guests I've had on the Let's Go Eat show who was not afraid to actually eat her lunch, eat her food while we were talking. You know, like real people do. Sometimes while I'm interviewing people on the Let's Go Eat show, it's like they're afraid to eat while they're talking. But, but normal people talk over lunch. You know, they talk over a meal, and they eat with their mouth full. And she put food in her mouth and talked, and just like real people do. And I really appreciated that. Uh, so we had a great conversation. Uh, at least I thought it was a, a fascinating conversation. Uh, I hope uh, you enjoy it. I hope you go to Maza and try out the stuff there. Uh, and if you get a chance um, to meet Ali Shaba, who owns Maza, uh, and just chat with him for a second. He's just a, 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 he's a gentleman. He's a terrific gentleman. 
All right, here we go. It's uh, the Let's Go Eat show. It's Holly Mullen. Uh, I hope you like it. I enjoyed doing it. And uh, there it is. Oh, I'd just like to, I said here it is, but I'd just like to add one other little thing to this uh, intro. Uh, Corey O'Brien has been helping me out uh, with uh, the Let's Go Eat show. He's been editing the intro onto it and putting the music behind it and uh, helping out. And I really want to thank him for doing that because I'm terrible at that kind of thing. So thank you, Corey, for doing that. And uh, I also want to thank my son, Dylan, who's in New York City, interning for the uh, Daily Show, but he's still helping get this show up uh, on the Let's Go Eat uh, show website, uh, where you can also leave comments. Please do. If you like the shows, uh, please leave comments on the website. Uh, we'd love to see them or on our Facebook page or send me email directly. Uh, you can do it uh, bill at x96.com. There. Now, here it is. Uh, it's ha- this is Holly Mullen. Uh, we're at uh, Mazza, uh, 9th and 9th, uh, uh, here at Mazza, the, with the uh, uh, the good auspices, the good gra- uh, graces of Ali Shabah, who is Yay. the owner of Mazza. And uh, we're here, the Let's Go Eat show. And Holly Mullen is our guest. She is the uh, executive director, is that what you're right. no? of the uh, Rape Recovery Center in Salt Lake. And... Um, We'll, and we'll talk about all of that and, and try to, you know, we're going to have food and eat and, and talk about <laughs> yeah. un, kind of unpleasant things. Uh, although, um, I think it's interesting, it used to be the Rape Crisis right. Center. Rape Crisis. That, you knew it was serious stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were, you, were you responsible for changing the name or uh, under your leadership was I, the name changed? I or? was not. And um, I can't track back exactly to when the change happened but it was in the 90s mm-hmm. um and i think the reason was to reflect more of a holistic it's a, i mean it's a good idea yeah it's yeah that there is recovery there is hope um which is really important because as you said this is a very heavy really dark kind of subject and um one of the ways that i survive and and stay happy with it is to really get Pollyanna about it sometimes and just really look at the hopeful things that can happen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're there uh, dealing with uh, really traumatic issues all the time. Right. And so you have to think of it as recovery. People are going to recover. Women are going to recover and you're dealing 99.9% of the time with women. It is. It's like, it's actually about, I think it's 96% of rape victims, it's kind of national and, and mm-hmm. state statistics. Ninety six percent are female victims, male perpetrators. Yeah, but yeah, we're seeing a lot more men though too. We have some male um, group therapy programs mm-hmm. and um, individual mm-hmm. therapy clients as well. So, uh, so so we'll we'll talk about all of that. Let's let's just talk about Holly Mullen okay. a little bit. Um, I think I first met you when you were still working as a. A reporter yeah. or a, a, a newspaper woman. Been a few years. Which you did that. You were a newspaper woman person for for thirty some odd years, right? right? Pretty much thirty. Yep, close to thirty. Which is what uh, which is what you were trained to do. You were journalism student. And I was. I I um, I was born and raised here in in Salt Lake Valley in Holiday. And I uh, went to Olympus High and kind of, I just have a very standard sort of Utah background. Mm-hmm. Uh, graduated from the U of U in communication. And, um, and I was really fortunate, I think, to, um, to graduate at a time when newspapers were still 
pretty big deal. Vital and vital. There were there were some definitely some of the afternoon papers were starting to shut down because you know work work schedules were really shifting. The mm-hmm. economy was shifting a lot from blue collar to more white collar work and. But for the most part, um, I was really fortunate. I walked right into a job at the Deseret News, like two weeks after graduation. And um, I mean, do you mind if I ask you? Were you a uh, a Mormon girl? I was, and I technically still am. I'm not one of those get my name off the rolls people. I mm-hmm. I still I'm one of the people that count. <laughs> Even yeah. though I don't practice anymore. Yeah, we're both having a, a glass of wine exactly. here at at uh, Maza and. Again, I think my story is very similar to thousands of people. I'm one of those people that count as well. I'm still on the rolls. And I don't have an edge to me where I've felt like I have to pursue the, I don't want to be part of your club group and have a lot of friends who have gone that route and it's fine. And yet I feel like it's a big part of my cultural identity. So at the time you went to work for the Deseret News, were you still... Holly Mullen, uh, good Mormon girl, and excited to be at the Deseret News? <laughs> was not. I, okay. I actually kind of pulled out of the whole thing when I was about 15 or 16, mm-hmm. out of the whole DL- mm-hmm. LDS um, church attendance and everything. And um, So, no, I wasn't. But I'll tell you, it's very interesting. You may have heard, you know, that over the years, the Deseret News has had a, a, a bit of a, a schizophrenic image in yeah. terms of who they are, who they want to present to the public. What Are they a serious news organization? Are they more of a tool of the LDS church? It's gone round and round. And when I worked there back in the early 80s, um, honestly, uh, they had some very good journalism going on. They had an investigative team. Uh, they had hired Deanne Evans, who's legend in this town she's passed away quite a few years ago but she was their first female managing editor and very much a mentor of mine really an incredible person and so um and even the newsroom i would say was probably 60 40 mormon Mm non-mormon um i don't know what it looks like now of course it's just a skeleton of what it was in terms of i I think it looks like if you went there now that you would hear echoes and there are tumbleweeds. Oh, no, and the Tribune yeah. too. Yeah. Both. It's yeah. sad. So yeah, so I did that. And then I also worked at the Standard Examiner in Ogden. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in the mid-80s, I was a feature feature editor there. Worked there just for a couple of years. And then, at that point... You knew Flora Ogan. I did. And she is still with yeah. us. Oh, yeah. We're Facebook friends. Yeah, yeah she's... Um, Flora and Randy Hatch was the editor mm-hmm. and... Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Um, Phil Jensen was the news editor. You probably know because you're an Ogden yeah, boy, right? Don, uh, uh, Big Don. Um, oh, Don Porter. No, Don, Don Port- not Porter. Yeah. Don. Oh, what's Don's last mm. name? They named the award after him. Um, yeah. Oh, I feel terrible. Yeah. Thank It'll you. come to me in about, you know, two hours. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, um, so, yeah, I was there. And then I did this thing where I think is even, again, nowadays, it's kind of hard to get this, to do this. Mm. I bounced around the country to all kinds of journalism jobs. Really? Um, where did you Where did you go? Well, I actually, this is an interesting story, the small, incestuous world of, of Salt Lake City and Utah journalism, because I think you know my former husband is Glenn Warchell, who works for um, oh, yeah, I know. You know, you know, Salt Lake I guess, Magazine. I, didn't, I guess I didn't know that you and Glenn <laughs> yeah. were married. I know Glenn, and I guess I didn't know that he we was... Had, we were for about... 14 years, and we have two children together. They're grown. Um, I'm taking a picture of our food. Oh, don't, good. Don't mind me. Please do. It looks good, doesn't it, yeah. before we tear into it. 
Um, so he and I were both, we met at the Deseret News. We were both newspaper people. So we started that that thing that you do when you're mm-hmm. married to someone in the same business. And we kind of went to where the jobs were mm-hmm. and who had the best opportunities. And so he and I moved around the country. We, we lived in Spokane and worked there in journalism, Spokane, Washington. Um, then we moved to the Twin Cities and uh, I worked at the Pioneer Press newspaper. Um, then Glenn got a job in Dallas. So really over about 12 or 13 years time, we moved to a lot of cities yeah. and both had good opportunities and had children and loved it. I did love it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I made a conscious choice to come back here, um, in the late nineties, uh, for a lot of personal reasons. My mm. mother was getting older and she didn't really know her grandkids and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm. So we came back and we both got jobs at the Tribune. Uh, and then we ended up splitting up. Um, but um, and then you I were, loved moving away and doing new stuff and meeting new people. And you were, and then you were at the Tribune for for a long time. Pretty much, I was there for about ten years. Yeah. And then did you did you work at that uh, paper uh, for a while, <laughs> The Observer? Oh, I did in Dallas. I did. Oh, I thought I was that there was a Salt Lake paper oh, that yeah, tried to come short lived, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't work at that one, but that's funny because the paper I worked at in Dallas, I worked at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, and then about two years after that, I went to the Dallas Observer, Mm. which is an alternative paper, a really good one, which is owned now. It used to be called the New Times chain, but now it's Mm -hmm. owned by the Village Voice chain. Oh, yeah. One of the reasons I loved working there was um, they had a great model of alternative journalism. Um, They were determined to cover really hard news and good investigative news. Uh-huh. Um, not just, not just you know, 10 places to get the best beer. I mean, those are great stories, but yeah. they had a lot more substance than that, and I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. And then uh, go ahead, have, nope. you know, have a bite of your, uh, your ha- uh, Holly's having the um, falafel, falafel uh, on the house salad here so at, uh, at Mazza, and I'm having the shawarma, shawarma. Uh, on, yeah, which is just essentially beef. Uh, shaved beef on a salad, and it's got a nice dressing on it. And so good. Pickled beets, and oh man, and those is that a radish? I or think no, so. Or yeah, a tomato. radish, and then um, pickled. Um, yeah, pickled radish and cheese. Okra? And, Do we have mm. okra here? We might. I think it, I it's really good. Man, it really. Maza at ninth and ninth, and then uh, there's another the the original one, the smaller one. Which, uh, I mean, that's the only mm-hmm. one we used to go to up at 15th and 15th by King's English. Tiny. And that, that one's still mm-hmm. uh, going, too. But yeah. I love that one. It's kind of close to my house, and it's like a nice little neighborhood place and mm-hmm. really great in the summertime to mm-hmm. sit out on the patio. You know, this, this space here, um, 15th and 15th, and it's right across from the Great Harvest mm-hmm. and... Um, this was a cursed spot. Right. You remember how many restaurants they've tried to put in here and nothing succeeded? I know. And it's, um, I'm trying to remember that one the place that was here that was this kind of like whole earth, kind of, not whole earth, but kind of like. Hippie, hippie, give, give back to the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that one called? And they had a couple of locations and they kind of tanked after a few years. Yeah, I don't remember. It was like, it was like a. Geo, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Gaia, Gaia, or you know, <laughs> Mother Earth, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So, um, and then you, uh, you were, did you work for City Weekly briefly? I did. Yeah. I did. I had an unceremonious exit from City Weekly. I was there exactly two years. And then... Um, and then they asked me to leave. They asked you to leave? <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not widely discussed in the community, but... Did you and John not get along? I think I did. I think I got along with John. I think it was the publisher I didn't get along with, um, mm. who's now gone, mm. Jim Rizzi. No. Um, I think, although even to this day, I'm still a little baffled. You're not sure what no, happened exactly. Was, just... it, it hit me hard because I'd never, ever been fired. And somebody in radio knows that you get fired. People get fired all the time. Right? I know. You know, you know, I've never. I shouldn't even say it. <laughs> I have never been fired. It's amazing. I, oh, well, I, I sort of was fired because I was asked to be fired mm-hmm. when, um, the radio station that preceded X96 was KJQ. Oh, yeah. And it was going down the tubes. And I said, uh, uh, I said, I, you know, the, it was obviously going down the tubes. And they said, you have to sign a contract. And I said, I'm not going to sign a contract. This oh. radio station is going down the, it's going to crash and burn. I'm not going to sign a contract. Because you do have to just die right along with it. Yeah. And yeah. they said, well, if you don't sign a contract, we'll fire you. And I said, "Well, then that's what you'll have to do. You will, you will have, you'll have to fire me because then I can collect unemployment." Right. And they said, "Okay, you're fired." So, so I mean, it was a calculated move on my part to get fired. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but that's the only time. Yeah. I've ever been fired. I, well, I you know I remember having a huge crisis of confidence over it, and yeah. and then I remember waking up. I honestly remember looking like I guess looking in the mirror, or just one day, just going, yeah. you know, like. Some of the best people I know in journalism have been fired yeah. um, or or sort of forced to leave on principle or mm-hmm. something like that. So and, and, and who I don't know how many people get through life without either getting fired or getting laid off, especially nowadays. Yeah. So I think I I think I ended up, you know, a little feeling a little better about things as a result. But it, it was hard to go through at the time. So uh, and. Um so did you have did you go right from there is that was your next next job the uh, rape recovery you know i i got i lost the city weekly job right right at the top of the recession it was like it was february of 2009 and um thankfully i did i i did get unemployment i don't know mm. what i would have done without it yeah. um and had to do that whole thing of you know looking for jobs every day and turning in your information to the workforce services yeah. that you were looking around. And so I did some freelancing and then I also, I wrote like, I wrote a couple of, I wrote an introduction to a book and things like that. Mm-hmm. Little tiny piece work. And then, um, I did one session at the state legislature. Um, I think it was 2000, gosh, 2011 maybe or 2012. Anyway, I worked for the house Democrats as their communications and marketing kind of social media person. How was that? It was a blast. It was really fun. It's I mean, a, yeah. Did you feel weird about that? So often people who are in journalism and in, in, in reporting on those people mm-hmm. end up turning around and, yeah. and shilling for them. And I, that makes me feel kind of weird and uncomfortable when mm-hmm. I see that happen. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. You know, you know what I'm talking exactly. about. Did it? 
did it make you feel weird or did you it say did, I need a, little a job? Bit. That was what I said. I, I need, need a, a job. job. Yeah. And I and I think I also turned a corner thinking looking at the landscape of where newspapers are or where they were going mm-hmm. thinking I don't think I'll ever get another job in newspapers given what's happening. Um, and then sometimes I wish I could and I would love to go back and um, and I just I just don't know where that future of newspapers is heading. It's, it's not very positive right now. So, yeah, I went and did that and um, pulled down a little extra money, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And then um, it was later that fall that I got hired at the Rape Recovery Center. I'd been on their board, mm-hmm. which that was another thing. When, when you're an active uh, reporter, um, you, you really can't do that kind of stuff because that's a conflict. I couldn't sit yeah. on a board. I couldn't be an outward... Um, supporter of any candidate. Yeah, it's pretty hard. I can't. I um, yeah. I I can do a few things, but not not too much. You know. So I was able to be on this board, and um, I've always been interested in this issue, and in you know, quote unquote, women's issues, um, and and so this kind of became my passion, and um, yeah. Other than other than being a woman. Which was an, is which is an obvious reason that you would be interested in it. Uh, does it come from somewhere else? Uh, and I don't. Again, I don't. Well, I will oh, cry. No, you're fine. Does it come from something personal? Does it? You know, I have to say, I feel so lucky. I have never been a victim of sexual assault, of rape. I think, like most women, I have been the. I have been subject of, or subjected to harassing kinds of things um comments about my looks comments about my weight pressure yep um i don't think any i don't think any female straight gay transgender i mean i don't think any female gets to be an adult without some kind of pressure to have sex with someone whether she wants to or not um Mm. and you know what It is a part of growing up, and it's a part of becoming a human being, a sexual human being, you know. So I think it becomes an issue of whether whether, um, teenagers can make good decisions and healthy decisions about who they're with and how they're going about building that part of their lives. You know, I want... Boys... Uh, try to pressure girls into having sex with them. Yep. I. I mean, I. It will ever be thus, right? Yeah. I mean, I. So say the done Lord. It. I've done it. <laughs> I've tried to get a girl. I. You know, you just you do. That's true. Um. So what do you? And, and but I have to say, I have to say, and I don't know if all boys have been through this, but I've also been pressured by men. I've also been pressured by men to have sex with them when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of know what... Oh, not when I was really young, but yeah. when I was uh, in my early 20s, mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. really young and cute and, you know, it never happens anymore. Right. Um, yeah. But, uh, so I kind of I kind of had a taste of it on the other side. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, wh- so what do you... 
So what do you say to young boys then? Um, you know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know what I know, I'm asking. I do I, know, and I know. What did you tell? Do you have you son? Me? Do you have sons? I do. Yeah. yeah. How old? I have a 27 year old yeah. who I think is a he's a very nice, sweet, mm-hmm. uh, respectful kid, and I have a 15 year old who who at this point um, we watch television together yeah. and anytime a uh, and we we'll, we let him watch adult sort of adult things he he's okay with the violent things anytime anything even hinting at sex comes on he yeah. says okay i don't need to see this he covers <laughs> covers his eyes so i don't know i mean i don't know, I know. you know i don't need to see this i don't i don't want but so i don't it's so it's really interesting because i i can't go to a place where i'm all indignant and and um unbendable about this question and you know men should never try to have sex with a woman and mm. i can't do that because that's not that's not a natural yeah. thing i mean and i think um what what the difference is bill is um that we have people among us as crazy and um paranoid as this might sound we have people among us who are who are just predators they just are whatever i don't know i don't know what makes them that way i'm and actually i don't have any social work or psychology in my background so the role i have at the rape recovery center is an administrative and fundraising role so i turn all of the thinky stuff over to the social workers um but i do know that um when you talk about sexual assault out there in the society in the community the people who are doing this, for the most part, are—they're um, predators. They—they—they—they they, they want to manipulate. They want to overpower. They want to victimize people, and um, that's a, there's a big difference there than the standard kind of young guy who's starting to become a sexual being and wants mm-hmm. to have sex with a girl. And and then the difference, of course, too, is. You probably, you are, I'm sure, a healthy person, um, and you probably would, if you were with a girl in that situation as a teenager, you would probably back off if she didn't want to have sex with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's, yeah. I mean, who wants to, I've been in a one-on-one argument with a guy, who college-age guy, a few months ago, who was just determined to get me to say that no means yes. Yeah. That women really want it, and they play this game, and they really do mm-hmm. want it. And I couldn't go there with him. And I finally just said to him, hey, look, have you ever been in a relationship with someone that's really great? You guys have, you have great mm-hmm. sex. You're, you get along. You, you really dig yeah. each other. And you're both on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, how, w- how does that compare to being with someone that you are basically either overpowering or just cajoling to the point where... Mm-hmm. It's hardly at all an equal kind of relationship. Yeah. I mean, that really kind of sucks, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. He's like, "Well, yeah, you know." Mm-hmm. So there's there's that difference, I think. Yeah, I mean, it really, that really is. They do. They people do try to parse it and say sometimes, sometimes no means yes. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that's ever true. You can't. You can't. Yeah. I, you, you have to say, I think as a, as a man, you, I can't play that game. E, 
even if maybe you, you are wanted to play that game. Yeah. Now, maybe if you're in a relationship that you really know somebody right. very, very well, and she wants to play that game, right. and you know her well enough to play that game with her. Yeah. Oh, okay, what you do in the privacy of your own home is your business. Right, exactly. But And, <clears throat> pardon me, I have to say, the, the old... Um, kind of old trope about no really means yes. The only people I've ever heard say that are men. <laughs> I mean, really, truly. And I, yeah. I when we see, when we see um, female survivors come in to the Rape Recovery Center, um, and I've, of course, again, I don't do therapy with anyone, but I know from, you know, secondhand talk and stuff. I've never heard any anyone saying, you know, I did say no, and I really, but I really meant yes. Yeah. That's not what they say. They yeah. say, I know the difference. I know what consent is, and I was raped in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. um, let's talk about um, the um, situation with the um, rape kits in the Salt Lake City Police yeah. Department and all of that. Um, I wrote down just a couple of little notes here. I don't usually do very many notes when I interview somebody because I like, I like the conversation to be organic. But um, So it came to light. Well, we'll explain what a, if you would, and what a rape kit is. Perfect. I'm happy to. Yeah. So, so when a person, and male, female, transgender, um, um, is raped... The first thing that person wants to do is get to a hospital. You know, yeah, sure, call the police or get a get a trusted friend or somebody to go with you. But get to the nearest hospital, to an emergency department, preferably. Um, now, and this is. Let, let me just clarify something. You 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 phrase that in such a way. You said the first thing that that person wants to do mm-hmm. is get to a hospital. What you mean by that is should do. Yes. It may not be the first thing you want exactly. to do. But it's the first thing you should do. The first thing that m- actually, truly, what most people want to do is get take in, a shower, get into a bathtub, yeah, take a shower, get clean wash clothes. everything off. But don't don't wash anything off. Right, and and, and that's really difficult. Um, but that's been the best practice forever and ever. Um, and then, well, I can get to this in a minute. But it's very interesting. We still don't want people to bathe. We want them to get to the hospital ASAP. Um, but Interestingly, more and more with DNA advances, mm-hmm. um, just like watching CSI, a lot of that stuff is is really accurate. Um, that we've got enough science now that the the nurses who do the exams, the rape exams, they're now saying you can you can actually go four to five days after a rape. Really, preferably without a shower, but you don't want to. I don't know if anybody would want to go that long, but mm-hmm. even if you shower. Please don't, mm-hmm. but even if you do, for whatever reason, still come in. Um, if it's within, I can't do the math, but however many hours, four days mm-hmm. is, um, um, and have, have it done. Because they can pick up, yeah, they can, they can pick up a lot more stuff than they ever could even 10 years ago. Can you, can you call the cops and say, meet me at the hospital? Yes. Yep. In I'm fact, going to the emergency room right now. Meet me there. Yep. Because in fact... That's probably the best way to make sure that you get to the hospital. Um, different agencies have different rules, I'm finding out. Sometimes if they can, they will meet a victim at her home or the bar or wherever, wherever it happened mm-hmm. and take her to the hospital. But 
if they have another priority, higher priority call mm-hmm. or, you know, shots fired or something, mm-hmm. they can't or won't. Or if you go to the hospital, the hospital will call the cops. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, when you get to the hospital, the first thing they do there, the personnel at the ER, is they'll call a Salt Lake, well, I say Salt Lake, they're all over the state, but here in Salt Lake County, the um, sexual assault nurse examiners, it's a nonprofit group of trained forensic RNs. Mm-hmm incredible people i I think they're mostly mostly women there's a couple of men Mm -hmm. um they come to the hospital they get there within 30 or 40 minutes and then one of our people from the rape recovery center which we call the hospital response team they're trained advocates one of those people get called out to the same hospital and they come and meet the nurse and the victim the nurse proceeds with the exam and then our advocate actually is like on the other end of the table with the victim up by his or her face. Mm-hmm. They'll help her fill out paperwork, but and there's plenty of that. But for the most part, they're just there to support and let go, you know. Sometimes even to, to um, take the victim's mind off what's going on. Like, they'll talk about favorite movies or what's yeah. your cat like or do you have a, you yeah. know, do you have a mm-hmm. favorite kind of ice cream or just to take her mind off what is a really, really difficult exam. Yeah. I mean, it's like take... Any woman who has the yearly pelvic thing, take that and magnify it a million times because they have to do all the photos and the mm-hmm. clippings and the and the DNA test or the, take the DNA and mm-hmm. um, um, photos because there's often all, all kinds of physical injury yeah. too. So it can take anywhere. This, the typical one, if there is such a thing, will take about four hours mm-hmm. um, depending on the injuries. Sometimes people come in with strangulation marks. Um, that can take up to sometimes eight or ten hours. Sometimes the victim comes in compromised either with alcohol or drugs. Yeah. Whether he or she took the alcohol willingly. But, you know, they come in and they have to be able to consent to the exam. And sometimes they're just not able to. They're just not enough conscious. So do they have to wait? Yeah, so yeah. they'll put them usually in a room somewhere or away and then and then as soon how, as they can how often is it that uh the um person went when they if they come to or they say no i don't consent i'm going home um we have that i wish i had an exact number to give you it does happen um and nobody there in the care world the nurses or the or the rape recovery center advocates they don't have any interest or reason to talk a victim into having it done the, the, the whole the whole logic behind this is well first of all I should back up a little bit I don't think that they would try to um, force somebody to have it but the nurse would probably say and does okay well but at the very least let us check you out let us um, give you some prophylactic medicine for pregnancy, mm-hmm. like a plan B. This is what mm-hmm. they give routinely, mm-hmm. best practices. Um, we will give you antibiotics as a prophylactic measure in case you picked up an STD. And then in two weeks, go to your health department or to Planned Parenthood and get a test and make sure you're clean. But let us at least do this so that you're not hurt physically. No. Um, and then... And then if you don't want to have it done, you can decide down the road. It's better to have it done if you want to go to the police with this because you'll have evidence. But the whole idea is to give control back to the victims. So we try to get them to be, like, really 
part of the decision-making process every step of the way. And if you want to have it done, great. If not, that's all right, too. Really? Yeah. They, I, I'm surprised that that uh, there isn't some more effort put into trying to say, come on. Yeah. And, you really should do this. And I think there is a good bit of that. And I think, I think once a victim kind of realizes um, what's going to happen during the exam and cause they like when the nurse does the exam, she's really, he, I keep saying she, most of them are women, but yeah. keep saying every step of the way, okay, here's what we're going to do now. You know, you're going to feel a pinch. You're going to feel something cold. Well, you know, here's now I'm going to take photos. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to clip hair, mm-hmm. you know? And so they, they tell them every step of the way what's happening. And I think that helps a, a patient victim, kind of go this isn't the by any means the best thing i've ever been through but it's it's going to help me in the long run and i'm glad i'm here why do they call it a kit is it a it's actually literally a kit i mean they take it's a little it's a little cardboard box like you'd get from you go home and there's an amazon box on your porch Mm -hmm. kind of like a book size okay that's what i that's Mm kind of what i pictured i mean it's interesting we were just talking about it i was at a meeting just before lunch on this whole rape kit Mm -hmm. issue um and the history of these things back in the seventies, they were, they were like metal lock boxes. Um, mm-hmm. And I suspect, I'm not sure if that had something to do with cost, but at some point, then they changed to like Manila envelopes. But I guess those weren't very safe. Mm-hmm. So now they have these really tight cardboard boxes, like you get like a post office box thing that you buy for sending a package out, and that's what they look like. And they actually have. Um, a bunch of slides, glass slides that the mm-hmm. nurse puts together, little separate envelopes for hair. Every hospital uh, trained uh, has trained personnel on how, exactly how to do that and prepare them. And then I would assume they're taped up or yeah. uh, in such a way that you can tell if they've been tampered with. Exactly. And then, and then they go, interestingly, here's one of the reasons I think we have such an issue with rape kit processing is every rape kit goes to the police officer whose jurisdiction will be investigating the crime. So the the police officer will take it back. In this case, say we're in, we're here at 9th and 9th. If something happened out in front of Maza, the Salt Lake police would take it back to their evidence room, mm-hmm. put it on the evidence shelf. Um, and it's typically a patrol officer who comes to the hospital mm-hmm. who may or may not have any experience dealing with sex crimes. No. Um, so... So, and then it, it you have to wait then it just sits there until it's called for in right they'll typically assign a detective to, to the case uh. um, special victims unit mm-hmm. um, and he or she will start investigating you know the typical mm-hmm. sort of law and order stuff call the victim interview the victim see if there were any witnesses. Um, see if the victim knows her perpetrator, and they do. Like in 92 percent of rape kiss- kisses, rape cases, they know the perpetrator somehow. Mm-hmm. Might be a date, might be a coworker, might even be somebody like. Okay, here's a good example of an acquaintance rape, the, the Elizabeth Smart case. Uh, she didn't know the guy personally, but he mm-hmm. had been working at the home as a handyman. Yeah. He was a he was aware of the family schedule. He knew Elizabeth from a distance. Um, so in that case, it wasn't a stranger, even though he wasn't yeah. personally known. He he knew he knew her to a certain extent. Could be a friend of a friend, right? Could be a 
could be a family member. Exactly. Which, you know. Yeah. So so it so it came to light that in Salt Lake City, seven hundred and eighty-eight rape kits out of a thousand and one had not been analyzed. Right. Which means had not been no detective had taken it and tried to find out what had gone on. Isn't that is that crazy? Well I think it's crazy, but I live well, with this, so I don't yeah, know. Well <laughs> I don't know if I'm in like crazy time, you know? I No, I have a lot of I, d- does any does anybody know why? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of respect for uh, Chris Burbank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the only thing I, uh, and you, well, what I read that he said, and I hadn't didn't read into it too deeply, the only thing I read that he said was, well, the, you know, forensics lab, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not very, co- it hasn't been very cost effective to get these analyzed. And it's difficult. We don't have enough money, and it's difficult to get them analyzed. Right. But think that through a little bit. Um, why would that be your reason as a police officer not to turn the kid in? Yeah. It's, it's get it off your plate. Do your do your work. Do yeah. your job. Send it to the rape. Or excuse me. Send it to the crime lab. Yeah. And if the crime lab is is languishing and sitting on their heels. Mm-hmm. then it's not your responsibility anymore. Yeah. You can tell the taxpayers, hey, I did what I was yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. So to me, that's never made sense. Has um, he said anything else that I missed other than that? I, he's, he's, he's moving a little bit more toward testing the kits. I haven't heard a complete, a complete yes to testing all of them, which many other police agencies mm-hmm. have agreed to do. Mm-hmm. West Valley's way ahead on this. Um, they're, they're testing everything. They're turning in... All their kits have they have they done that in the past? See, no. this is only Salt Lake. Other other agencies, same problem. Same problem, and so so it's not just Salt Lake. No, in okay. fact, it's national. This is a in fact uh, bigger cities than ours have. So that's bigger why backlogs. that's why Burbank Chris Burbank has said, and, and this is a smart political move for him to make, but it's also the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Politically, it's right, and it's the right thing to do. Said, there's a na- now nationally this is gone, mm-hmm. and they want to study this nationwide, mm-hmm. and I've stepped up and said, come and look at me. Come and look at Salt Lake. I'm glad. And tell me what I've done wrong. Yeah. That's essentially what he said. Yeah, and our records will be completely open. Open up all, all, of, our, all of our records. Hello, Mr. Rosenberg. Steve Rosenberg. I know. I shop at your store. I'm Holly Mullen. Hi. Good to see you. We're uh, recording a podcast of uh, the Let's Go Eat show. We're gabbing. Which we should do at your store uh, up at uh, Liberty Heights. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll talk to you. Good to meet you. Thanks. We're, uh, it's that's the way this show goes. It doesn't matter. We're yeah. yeah it's it's we're, we're at ninth and ninth. We're, ha- we're at the the heartbeat of town, right? We're at the yeah. beating heart. We're having lunch at Maza, <laughs> and you know, people stop by. Exactly. So uh, so anyway, I mean, this you know I, again, and uh, uh, if Chris Burbank hears this, is fine. And he, I I think ultimately he is a stand up guy, and yeah. basically what he said by this is. Okay, come and look at our department and tell tell us what we what we're doing wrong. Tell that's us, good. Tell us how isn't isn't that what essentially what he's saying? I think he is, and I think that's why I say I think he's moving a little bit because just a few weeks ago he was he was just steadfast in saying 
we're not doing this. Mm -hmm. And here's why. And he did say the reason that you just gave. But the other, the other reason I've heard him give several times is these cases often have a component of acquaintance. Yeah. It's a consensual thing. We know who the perpetrator is because he said he did it. He yeah. said, yeah, we had sex, but she said yes. Mm-hmm. And then she said, no, I said no. And so that's where the argument is. And so he'll, he, he would say and has said, it's, it's a waste of time and money, taxpayer money, to turn every kid in when you know there's oh. no argument about who did the sex. Oh, I it's see. It's just an argument about whether it was a crime. But here's the cool thing mm. about all of this is that um, other cities had kind of maintained the same, the same mm-hmm. stance. But when they started having to turn the kits in, like whatever legislative action required them to, mm-hmm. or lawsuits, mm-hmm. um, they started turning them in, and they were entered into local databases as well as this great big kind of mother of all databases, which is called CODIS. Oh, I see it's where a, this is going. Right? It's a national mm-hmm. FBI-run um, lab, and they started testing DNA from cold cases mm-hmm. and others that were mm-hmm. more fresh, and they started getting serial rapists, right? Yeah. And they started solving cold cases. Yeah. And in fact, we just had a case here last week in Utah, um, a guy in his 20s living in Park City was picked up in Park City on a rape case of a 16-year-old. Well, at the time, she was, I think, much younger than that. She was 14 in Oregon. And they picked it up through this big database. Yeah. And so he may or may not have done it, but yeah. he has been arrested for yeah. it. Yeah, I, I So did that's read where about we're going that. with that. And it can, and it has solved. I wish I would have brought my numbers with you today, but, I mean, it really has mm-hmm. some of these bigger cities, Memphis, Fort Worth. Um, Detroit has a huge backlog, but they've also solved tens and twenties of cases mm-hmm. with this bigger database mm-hmm. thing. It's, uh, you know, that uh, it's interesting. I'd forgotten that uh, Chris Burbank said that, and that is kind of a compelling argument. What's the point of turning it in? We know who did it. Mm-hmm. She said it's him, and he said, well, she consented, and so we can't, and we can't get either one of them to come to terms and prosecute it, and nobody, wa- nobody wants to take yeah. the case. But because of that, it probably should still be analyzed anyway. Right. And even if they have a case in Salt Lake that, that says, they say, they both know each other. Yeah. She's, been in, she's been uncooperative. Yeah. We've tried to call her and she won't come in. We're just going to close the case. Mm-hmm. And why waste the money to analyze yeah. it? Yeah. However. But you still turn it in and I'll tell you the truth. So the money has to be found, and it's, I think it's Kyle LaMalfa on the city council is kind of saying... Kind of leading the charge. Well, we need to come up with the money then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're they're taking the stand that they're going to pursue it no matter what, whether the legislature makes the count- every... Salt Lake Council. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The legislature could be really emphatic and say, we're going to pass a law that every police agency in the state has to test every kit and turn mm-hmm. them into this crime lab. And they probably won't do that, but Salt Lake wants that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so there's where you saw some real friction, for instance, between the chief and Kyle LaMalfa a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I bet they, co- I bet they come to terms and end up shaking hands. I, I think they will, and I think mm-hmm. the chief especially. The chief's a very political, smart guy. I mean, yeah. you have to be to be a chief of an agency this size and yeah. of, this, of this reputation, yeah. you know. Yeah, but I, it hasn't I, been a good summer for him either. No, he's... 
And again, but again, I always, uh, I've interviewed him. I've been around him, and I, I, uh, 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 I'll stick up for him in that I, he seems to always want to do the right thing. Yeah, he's smart, and he's yeah. he's um, he's very well educated. He knows police protocol. Yep. He knows the latest things going mm. on in the police world, and um, and so I've I have to say I've been disappointed as a as a victim advocate uh, at at what looks like a really um, kind of backward position. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you that another thing that's really important with all police officers right now um, is there's some training going on around the state. A couple of people, a former Utah County prosecutor, she has some grant money to go around and teach police officers and prosecutors. She was a prosecutor in Utah County for many years and did sex crimes on this whole way of thinking about trauma for a victim um, based on research, um, there's a lot of research done at um, Michigan State University. I'm getting I'm getting way arcane here. I don't want to get too boring, but but there's a lot of um, research done on what happens to a victim mm-hmm. when she's raped, mm-hmm. and it's the same sort of trauma that we see in PTSD victims, like kind of classic uh-huh, post traumatic stress, veterans, mm-hmm. um, other victims of crime. Um, what happens is, <laughs> this is going to be like a sixth grade analysis of your brain, but <laughs> you know, you have this little thing in your brain um, called the manig, what's it called? The, the oh. manigdalum. Yes, thank you. The mm-hmm. little teeny walnut sized piece of your yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah. It's like your reptile Man- brain. That's right, isn't it? The manigdalum. Yeah. It's yeah. like the reptile brain yeah. that um, that when you're tr- when you're suddenly traumatized or you have some kind of incredible stress brought down on you. You you just shut down. It's yeah. like the it's like the fight, flight, or freeze mm-hmm. mechanism. Mm-hmm. What happens with a lot of victims is they freeze. See, everybody out there has this idea, and we even teach our kids this stuff. If you ever get raped, you fight like they're like you're gonna you're gonna either die, you're gonna get away from that guy, you'll die trying, mm-hmm. but you're gonna fight him. And everybody has this idea that that's what they'll do. Mm-hmm. That's not very often what happens. Yeah. What happens is the victim breaks down and freezes, yeah. especially if she knows the person. Yeah. Because typically, again, because rapists are predators for the most part, they um, they figure out what vulnerabilities a victim has. They build her trust. And so suddenly, if you're suddenly with a guy that you think you know and you think is an okay person and you're getting assaulted, I don't think you're going to be thinking about fighting him off. You're going to be like, holy you know, holy cow, I thought, isn't this guy my friend? Haven't I kind of fallen in love with this guy? What? And, and, and you're, right? yeah, and I mean, it's going to make you feel like, it must make you feel like, how could I be so stupid? Right. And yeah. What, what's wrong with me? And and this is what, this is the kind of the classic position that, that victims take when they come to the Rape Recovery Center. There's already... What did I do wrong? Exactly. And we do it to ourselves as well as society does it, mm-hmm. you know, keeping... You've seen it with the, I mean, you see it. You see women do it to other women. I know. We're awful. We're what did you do? people. What did you do? <laughs> why did Why did you let him do that? Right? You'll have to ask Gina if she's ever done that, right? Uh, have you ever judged? I'm, I'm not going to ask her. Because <laughs> then I'll just end up yelling at her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, we do it. We all do it. Human beings are so judgmental, right? Mm. That's what we do. Yeah. And uh, especially if we think, I think people do it in these cases because... It's so, it's so possible to be a victim of these crimes, um, especially if you're female, and 
you kind of think if you do all this, it won't happen to you. If I lock my doors, if I take mace with me, if I don't, you know, dress in scanty clothing, yeah. you know, or scant clothing, I'll, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But if it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's just about power. We have this, we, you know, we get into this argument a little bit on the, on the radio from hell show sometimes, you know, uh, arguments about, uh, um, School administrators Ugh. saying that girls, you know, uh, you know, okay, girls, you can't wear those uh, tight uh, jeggings and jeans yeah. and stuff to school because the boys are uncontrollable. And I say, what, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Why don't you start training the boys to control themselves Woo-hoo. instead of just say? And Gina, you know, Gina will go, well, maybe they shouldn't be wearing those, oh. and you know. No, train the boys. Now, as a boy, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I understand. It's like, wow, oh, my God. Yeah. And that's a natural reaction. Yeah. But don't let it go beyond, oh, right. my gosh. I get, uh, And most don't. I better put my math book in my lap and pay attention <laughs> to the teacher instead of, I better hide my boner and... Look at the cla- the blackboard instead of, you know, it's, it's got, true. You know, you know, you you can teach boys that it's. I, why don't they talk frankly about this stuff? You know, it's okay to have a boner, but just put your math book in your exactly. lap and don't become a raging wild animal. Right, exactly. And you know what really bothers me a lot about that point of view is. Uh, this idea that boys can't control themselves, it's really insulting toward males. It's yeah. really insulting. Yeah. It's like that Carl's Jr. ad where the guy, I think it's, it's not on anymore, but it's on that, you know, that whole vein of Carl's Jr. where this guy comes in and wants to make a guacamole burger, so, but he's too stupid to know how to make guacamole, so he, he throws the whole avocado in whole with the pit and all into the blender and mm. stands there, and it's like... I get what you're doing. It's mm. ha ha. It's funny, but yeah. you know, it's just like men aren't totally stupid. Not totally. No. No, no. just ninety eight percent. But yeah. but they but that's kind of this argument that men can't control themselves. Mm. And here's the other thing: if if all it were, if you could control sexual thoughts and sexual assaults by covering up, nobody in the Middle East would ever get raped, right? Yeah, and they, do, and they do. They're covered up yeah. in most cultures yeah. over there. Pretty. Pretty, it's pretty substantially yeah. in some, mm-hmm. and it's a big problem. Rape is a huge problem in in some culture, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You know, everywhere. So it's not about how you dress. It's 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 what you teach. Yeah. It's how you raise kids and what yeah. you teach them. Boundaries. Yeah. Like right. What like yeah. like? It's stupid. I, I sound like. Your well, health teacher. Well, but it's and just I mean, it's, it's just, it's just, um, it, it's, we are different men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are different in how we approach each other and sexual urges, yeah. but we are very, very different, and yet we are all just people, and we should have respect for each other as people. Right. And then exactly. we should respect our differences as well. Well, um, and know. and again, like, you know, this gets way deep into the culture. But, I mean, why do we have to have such a whacked out disparity between male and female power in our world? And right here in Utah, you, you know, it's in my in my work, 
Utah is about the only state that I know where patriarchy is seen as a good word. In other mm. other advocates and feminists that I work with, it's kind of like patriarchy is not a really great thing because it's about controlling women. It's about, you know, taking yeah. power, da da yeah. da. But here it's kind of a, well, you got to have patriarchy because you got to have order and that's how it works. Well, it's, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it's from where from where the power flows. It it flows through the man to the woman. Mm-hmm. W- women are equal to men because the because the power flows through the man to make the woman equal to him. And he's not supposed to be domineering no. and controlling. No. That's not, you know, and I know the LDS church doesn't teach that from the pulpit, no. but it it I'm sorry, but it does happen quite often that it it is a dominate a dominating relationship. Um, I noticed sadly. you you mentioned uh, Holly uh, transgender quite a bit in your mm-hmm. conversation, and my guess is you have uh, you've been doing that more and more lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's become a big. That's becoming more and more of an issue and a big deal, and exactly. uh, people trying to understand transgender issues and. Uh, and transgender persons, mm-hmm. and how do you how do you refer to transgender people, and what how do you treat them, and what are the issues, and yeah. all of that. And do you do you, do you deal with that mm-hmm. much at rape recovery? And more and more, and and our position there, of course, is um, that that a person, an individual, gets to decide what they want to be called, how they want to be referred to, um, and we don't get hung up on. Well, wait, you know, you were born male, but now you're female. So what bathroom are you supposed to use? That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's up to them. You know, they get to decide that. Mm-hmm. And um, but they are um, transgender population is probably the most bullied and most, you know, brutalized yeah. of, of any on all kinds of levels. And they are very frequent victims of sexual assault, often by straight people. Um, there have been uh, I you know there are two cases just recently in the news not here in Utah mm-hmm. of um, murders of transgendered people yeah. by their boyfriends. One a really awful one where the guy hacked hacked the transgendered person up and cooked her on the stove or yeah. the, cooked the person up on the stove. The other one was a murder, uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, one. Uh, we did the story uh, on the radio, and we didn't know it was a transgender person. It was just a story of, yeah. you know, uh, somebody hacking up his girlfriend and put it, cooking her on the stove Ooh. and uh, eating. And, and we do those stories sometimes, not in a humorous yeah. way, but as a, oh, Gina, here's a macabre story for you. You know, <laughs> exactly. Gina likes the macabre stories. Here's one about a guy who hacked up this woman and. Put her in the, ah, you know, in a pot in and the you stove. Do them and, very well, you know. I have to add. And um, it, and it, we do it at kind of a remove. It's an awful thing. Yeah. Now we didn't know it was a transgender when we first did the story, and I got a, a message from a transgender person mm. who said, who who didn't, I don't think heard me do the story, but just said. Uh, this was a transgender person, and I wish people would know that this kind of brutality happens to, to people because they are transgendered. Yeah. And it made me feel really bad. And then another one happened just a couple of days later. Um, and I uh, I don't know. I just well, your think- intention was not, though. No. That's the thing that yeah. we have to think about a lot cause, because we... We, 
So the Rape Recovery Center is, we call ourselves a feminist multicultural organization. To a lot of people, that sounds really politically correct and boring and da-da-da. But, <laughs> but what we work on a lot there is, um, you know, inclusion and also the idea that we're always, you know, we all should be working to um, include and 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 take into account everybody's situation, right, and where they are in their life and racial, cultural whatever it is mm-hmm. about you that makes you who you are. But we also talk a lot about, about intention. I mean, if you have honest, good intentions toward treating other people well, and you make a boo-boo, you know, you slip up somehow, you just got to, you know, go, well, I didn't mean that, and now I know better. Yeah. I think, you is, know. Uh, I, I want to ask you one final question, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. Yeah. And, um, I'll ask you two final questions. Can rape ever be uh, the subject of a joke? Oh, gosh. Because I have such a thin skin about it. I really do. I've even kind of mouthed off a few times about it. Um, I remember I specifically right after I got this job, um, Ben Fulton, who um, used to work at the Tribune, he's now moved on, but he did a story about Black Friday, right? The day after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. craziness. Yeah. Um, and he had to go out and be the guy that had to go out and hang out at the mall and mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. spot interviews with people. And he did something like the lead of his story said something like, um, oh, he was actually quoting a girl who had, came out of a store with her arms full of packages. And she said something like, we really raped, we really raped Fashion Place Mall today, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got really upset about it. I don't know if I'd be quite as reactionary as I was that day because I had just started my job and I was all full of myself. Mm-hmm. But... but um, I don't know. Who's the guy? Who's the guy on Comedy Central that got in so much trouble? Is it Tosh? Um, Yeah, he does. The Simpsons just did a joke. Did they? Um, I love The Simpsons. See? See, they just did. uh, There was a crossover episode with The Simpsons and Family Guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, and I don't know if you ever watch Family Guy. And that's kind of more edgy. Oh, yeah. So there's Bart Simpson and then Stewie from... From Family Guy, and they're together. He's and the baby, right? Yeah, He's Stewie the baby. Yeah. yeah. So Bart calls and does one of his jokes, uh, phone jokes at Moe's Tavern. Yeah. You know, I'm looking for uh, uh, Mr. Bo- leaky Bottom or something, and Moe goes, you know, is there a leaky bottom here? You know, leaky bottom. <laughs> that's how you do a joke. And Stewie goes, Oh, that's wonderful. Can I try one? And uh, he says, Yeah, go ahead. And he says, You know, uh, Moe's Tavern. Can I help you? He says. Yeah, hello. Uh, your sister's just been raped. Ooh. So that... That was the joke. That's the joke. Okay. And he says, Does that, is that how it works? <laughs> you know, he goes, is that how it works? And Bart goes, you know, uh, n- no. Yeah. N- yeah. No. You know, and it's just like... It's now, a, see, that one, though, I could so, see... I could see some redeeming value in that. In that. So that's what I'm, I'm wondering. Right? Yeah. Because, because Stewie was being Stewie. Yeah. And and everybody else realized it was like dropping a bomb in the room. Yep. And Bart's like, no, no, you know, you can't. That's so, not a joke. So that's sort yeah. of like putting that, that's sort of humorously putting that word out to people that it's not, it's really not a funny thing. Yeah. But it's done with humor and there's a little teachable moment there, yeah. you know. So yeah, I think that was so, okay. So sometimes you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I wondered because, you know, because comedians nowadays oh, will say, you know, if you can do it the right way, you could maybe do it. Because that's what comedy's about, right? Yep. It's not just about the joke. Yep. It's about the timing and mm. the context. And yep. na, 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 na. Yep. You guys know that on the yep. radio. Yeah, but uh, but believe me, I, uh, 
We played that bit from The Simpsons yeah. on the air. We didn't get any complaints. Yeah. But I, I myself, I won't do it. <laughs> and I know. And I, and I, again, like we started talking earlier when we started this, this conversation, mm. I love, I love, I love humor. I love popular culture. I love music. I love, I mean, I love like everything that is probably anti-female out there. I still sort of <laughs> like it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have guilty pleasures about, Certain rap music and mm-hmm. all that that I'm stuff I'm not supposed which, to like. Yeah, which is but very can be very anti. Absolutely. Woman and, yeah. But um, so my part, my at least individually, my thing is do the work, have your best intentions, and yet at the same time, don't lose your soul and don't lose your humor because you'll I'll just I'll just die if mm-hmm. that happens. I'll just burn out and die, and I don't want to have that happen. Uh, rape recovery center. Uh, uh, funding money comes probably some uh, yeah. some some uh, government money some, some about about forty eight percent fifty percent is government grants mm-hmm. uh, mostly federal grants that pass through the state mm-hmm. um, and then the rest is private fundraising and tons of fundraising and that's what's killing me I, mm-hmm. I I don't mind fundraising but I'm also the administrator a lot of places like this have a development director and we don't have that luxury so I do all of it mm-hmm. um, and I think um, we try really hard I love social media so we've got a really active Facebook page and Twitter and mm-hmm. um, we do a lot of stuff that way but um, it, it's again it's a topic that's really tough for people to f- talk about and face uh, I kind of joke sometimes it's not it's not about kids with cancer or anything I don't mean a joke but yeah that's a that's an easy give. It's not a feel good topic. It's not, and that's no. an easy give. And everybody has their favorite causes, but this one's really important. We're the only one in the whole state that does this kind of work. Um, so how can people one. help? Um, they can write a check. They can volunteer. Uh, we have a pretty rigorous volunteer training program—a forty-hour training they have to take. And there's a lot of legal reasons for that. If you deal with any victim information, client information, you have to mm-hmm. have this confidentiality training. Yeah. Um, but they can also go to our, our website, which is raperecoverycenter.org. It's a long one, but we're, we're, we're top of the Google list. If you type in rape and Salt Lake, we're right up at the top. Um, and there's a, there's a donate button there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really, every... I know everyone says this, but we have a very low overhead, and money goes to direct services for victims. Mm. We don't do any we don't do any lobbying um, per se. I mean, I do media interviews and stuff, but we everything that we do goes back to victims. Advocacy. We have a twenty four hour crisis telephone line that, that has to be staffed. We staff that with volunteers, um, and that hospital response team I mentioned that's a twenty four hour service, and then we have a full gamut of therapeutic services that are our therapists are like top-notch trained in this really special unique kind of um, therapy for trauma victims so yeah so it's pricey you know Mm -hmm. it's and we don't charge people that's the other thing our mission is to serve low and and very low income people we'll i mean we'll take anybody who walks through the door and see what they need Mm -hmm. but but most people who don't have health insurance or don't have a steady job otherwise wouldn't have any services um if um, are things getting better, I think things are. I think things are getting better. I think first of all, people are. Um, I, I'm seeing anecdotally. I don't have numbers, but I'm seeing personally more women 
in particular who feel like they have a right to be heard. They don't have to hide. They didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I still think the majority of victims are very ashamed, but I'm seeing a little tiny shift um, of I am not going to just sit here and take this. I'm going to be an active part of my of my healing, mm-hmm. and I didn't do anything wrong. And then this whole other thing with the rape kits, that is huge. That's a sea change in this, in this business of really taking victims seriously and, and, and pushing their cases through the best way possible and trying to get justice. It's, it's, it's a really, really big thing, and I'm proud of that. Yeah, I said I was going to ask two more questions. Yeah. It's been about three or four more. So <laughs> you got to edit, right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, this is, we, we can just, we cool. can go on and on and on. Infinite space, Did you right? have a good time? I had a great time. Good. I didn't get to eat all my lunch, but I'm still going to plow into it. Well, you can finish it or take it home. Uh, yeah. I want to thank you for doing it. Yeah, it was so much fun. Good. Uh, uh, Holly Mullen, Rape Recovery Center, raperecoverycenter.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ali Shabaf for uh, hosting us here at Maza 9th East and 9th South. Uh, it's a great restaurant. If you've never been to Maza, please, please, please come and enjoy Middle Eastern cuisine. They've got a full bar. They've got great wines. Middle Eastern beers, too. Some yeah. beers you may never have tried. They're really good. So good. Uh, great. Just great food here. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, we'll post this uh, episode of the Let's Go Eat show as soon as we can. I want to thank my son, Dylan, who no longer produces this podcast, but for being here in spirit. He's in New York City. Uh, he's being a, he's been an intern on The Daily Show with John, really? St- on, with John Stewart. Yeah. How cool and, is that? And I want to continue to applaud him for doing yeah. that. Uh, so that's it. I'm Bill Allred. And remember, next time you're pouring the drinks, make mine a double. <laughs>